When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Naked Scientists. Hello, I'm Ben Valsler. In this special edition of The Naked Scientists, Smita Mundasad explores the psychology of supermarket shopping. This is an extended version of an interview first broadcast in the neuromarketing edition of The Naked Scientist show, broadcast on the 10th of October 2010. To find that and lots more besides, just join us online at thenakedscientists.com. Imagine it's a Saturday afternoon. Many of us are wandering through our local supermarket for our weekly shop, unaware of just how many messages we are unknowingly taking in as we choose what goes in our basket. To unveil some of these hidden messages, I've come along to a large supermarket here in Cambridge, and joining me is expert in consumer psychology, Philip Graves. Straight away, I can see lots of magazines, lots of special offers, and right in front of me, a huge red sign with a special offer for wine. Yeah, this is quite unusual. What most supermarkets do is introduce you to the fresh products straight away and that actually doesn't make any practical sense because they're going to get squashed if you put them in your trolley first but what that does is it primes us to think about what we're encountering as being fresh they're often most very colorful products and that's very much the kind of train of thought that supermarkets want to put into our mind before we get into the shopping as a whole then of course a lot of the things we buy will have a very long shelf life but by putting the fresh things there first, they can get us thinking about the fact that what we're about to find is fresh and diverse. But here they've gone a different way, and what they're doing is they're presenting us with a lot of offers. We've arrived at the wine section, or what they're calling their wine festival. The thing that hits you first is a special offer, uh, any two for five pounds. And what that does is it attracts you in, it draws you in. We're used to that big red sign, the big price point, and that's a quick way of buying so rather than spending all that time looking at this big confusing selection where if you don't know much about wine you could spend all day here they're giving you an easy decision to make this is obviously in quotes a good deal because it's got a big red price and we tend to just accept that for a product that we don't necessarily understand very well i don't know very much about wine and i always think oh look that's a 10 pound bottle marked down for five pounds and i get it thinking it's definitely good wine but is that always the case Well, you get into a very subjective territory there because uh, in neurological studies, what they've found is if you give people the same wine but tell them it's more expensive, they actually experience it as being better at a brain level. The reward centres of the brain light up when the price is higher. So the reality is you will enjoy it more if you believe that what you've got is a £10 bottle of wine but you've only paid £5 for it. So just to the right of us are lots of magazines, DVDs, I can even see music and books. I don't normally come into a supermarket with those things in mind. Why have they put them here? Well, it's a very interesting change that supermarkets have made in the last decade or so. And supermarket shopping is really all about habit. 
And the best thing that the supermarket can be is your habitual place to go from their point of view. But one of the interesting things about these areas to our right with the books and the magazines and the DVDs is that what the supermarkets have done is they've created the habit of looking in these variety areas and these areas that change frequently. So it's always worth going in and seeing if your magazine is there, what the latest bestseller is, what the top music is, the latest DVDs. So it draws you in. And these areas are generally much more emotionally rewarding than your tins of soup, tins of beans. So it makes the whole experience more pleasurable, gives you something rewarding to look at, and in the process gives them a huge new market to tap into. We've ventured a little bit further into the shop now. In front of us we can see quite a few toiletries. We're actually yet to come near any groceries as such, but you've stopped. What's caught your eye? Well, I'm looking here at this very heavily discounted product. Uh, We're looking at an anti-wrinkle cream. And one of the interesting things here is this is all part of giving us the feeling that there are great deals more widely and that the total shopping experience is inexpensive. Now, I did a little bit of checking before we came. This product is genuinely half price. Conversely, if you were going to buy your dishwasher tablets here, they would cost you slightly more than twice as much as they would in the other supermarket. So what's happening is they're winning on some and losing on others. But the impression that we pick up because of the way our minds work is to select those deals and attribute them to the store we're in. And if that's something we're buying, we tend to think that other things are cheap as well because of those great headline-grabbing deals that we encounter. So you get an overall impression that this is a really good place to shop. Well, that's right, because if you think about it, all the the big deals, the big discount, particularly if this is a product you're interested in, you might normally buy, this feels fantastic. So there's a huge emotional impact at a brain level from that product. But the mundane products you're buying that are ordinary, everyday things that are at the standard price that you believe are probably reasonably priced don't have the same impact. So you have what's known as an availability heuristic this looms large in your mind where the other things don't and as a result of that we tend to misattribute later on the general feeling of competitive pricing because of the one or two examples that we find that we feel great about. And I guess the other factor to take into account is I don't often walk around with a bunch of prices or price comparisons printed out. I'm not often 100% of what the most competitive price of an everyday product is. Absolutely right. You know, we rely on these general themes, these general ideas, these heuristics we have about whether or not we're making good decisions or not, but they're nothing to do with the facts because they're too complicated to get access to, they're too difficult to, and too time-consuming to reference. So we create these shortcuts in our own mind, and sometimes they work for us, but sometimes they're open to a little bit of uh, manipulation, exploitation. It's quite a lot of choice here. I mean, I wouldn't really know where to start. One of the problems you've got in a supermarket is that people are walking around so many things to buy, so many products on display, that they have to screen out a lot of what's around them. Because otherwise, if, and you find this if you came with a child who doesn't screen out because they haven't developed those unconscious filtering processes yet, it takes hours because they stop and pick everything up and they want to grab, oh, what's this? And they're looking at every single thing they can reach and touch they want a piece of. But here, what, what happens is that In order to get your unconscious mind's attention, you have to hit it with something significant. And one of the ways you can do that is with a big block of colour. So here we can see a product, a series of shampoos. They put the whole set together. They're all branded in a similar way. They're all part of a similar range within a sort of sub-brand within a bigger brand. But that creates a big block of colour. 
and that's attractive to our own conscious mind so we will find ourselves starting to look at it and the selling process that any of these brands have got to do is to attract our attention and that's attracting our own conscious attention first of all to be interesting to us and after that we can start to get more and more involved but just the fact that this is giving us a big block of color making us stop and look at it is its way of getting our attention when otherwise we might not look there in terms of color impact red is a very good color because we associate it unconsciously with stopping and taking notice from danger signs and so on but if everything was red we'd have to start screening that out so they need to use other colors too we've walked through half the shop already and we're yet to see any food is there a particular reason for this supermarkets are a, a big experimenting area you know and they're constantly trying different things to see what's most effective and they have the ultimate test of that which is the data that comes out of the till one of the problems that businesses have got seduced by over the past 50 60 years is that they've taken to asking customers what they think and that's hopelessly unreliable as a way of finding out what they will really do because we're not very good judges of our own behavior and our own needs and our own wants but in an environment like this a chain the size of this one with hundreds of branches up and down the country it makes sense to try different approaches and have a look at the total sales at the end of the week you know how many people are coming through the tills you can look at the amount they're selling you and in a supermarket like this one they manage to persuade the customers to use a card that will enable them to track the success of their own marketing messages and their own data and the customers are willing participants in that because they like the rewards they like the coupons it's september now but behind me there's just loads of christmas goods already why do supermarkets put out these seasonal products so early well it's a fascinating area and and there are two aspects to it i think one is that they want to give people the opportunity to start stocking up now for those people who want to plan so in a sense that's providing a bit of a service so people can spread their cost of christmas However, the reality is that will ultimately probably mean you just buy more and people's experience will show that if they look back, they've probably not quite budgeted as carefully as they might have hoped to. But there's another psychological dimension to this and it's to do with the way in which our unconscious mind uses associations. This is September now, so we could be looking forward to Halloween or we could be looking forward to you know, bonfire night, but the associations with them are nowhere near as indulgent as the ones with Christmas. So even if you walk past this, feel slightly resentful that they're plugging Christmas now, the fact is that you fired off in your brain at an unconscious level the associations with Christmas, the jolly man in the, in the red suit with the white hair, it's about buying things without really thinking about it. It's about buying things maybe more than you would buy the rest of the time of year. You know, most of the year we're quite happy having a roast joint. But at Christmas we have a roast joint and we have sausages too. Now, those things are independent meals in their own right most of the year. But at Christmas now we ram it all onto the plate. And once you've opened up those paths to, oh, just buy it and oh, it's Christmas. And that happens at an unconscious level. There is likely to be a cumulative effect here that means you will end up spending more than perhaps you otherwise would without even being at all aware. Around the corner though, at last there's some food. Great, I can finally start getting my groceries. That's right, we're now into the, the food part of the experience and they have primed us with the fresh produce. So we've got fresh fruit and vegetables, flowers on one side and fresh meat on another. So this is setting us up to think this is a place that sells fresh food, even though probably over 50% of the products in here are going to be ambient, long storage products. Spinning around now... There's loads and loads of really colourful juice cartons 
with big signs with buy four for three pounds and buy four for the price of two. What's going on here? You've got those big prices again, which remember back at the beginning of the store people were primed to look out for. My guess is that a lot of the people who are buying the juices from that display won't know what the individual price of those cartons is. But in a sense, nor will they care because they're taking this shortcut that's saying this is obviously a good price because it's a big red price. So they're using the priming they've set you up with, they're carrying it through and they're cashing in on the fact that you probably won't scrutinise how much of an effective deal that is. And as a result of that, they can change these deals over the course of time and on ambient products in particular, encourage us to stock up on products and buy more than we otherwise would. And of course, next time we come in, something else is on a different deal. And if they get the rotation of those deals right, in a way, we're constantly buying more than we need. We've left the food area now and we're into the cleaning product area. And I can already smell a real freshness in the air. Well, smell is an area that's still being investigated and that a lot of research is being done to explore. And one of the fascinating things about smell is that we know that at a subliminal level, people who smell pleasant fragrances then tend to react more positively to the things they see next. But when people are aware of the smell, it doesn't have the same effect. So when you walk in and you get a big whoosh of smell and you go, oh, that's the bakery, it won't particularly have an influence on your subsequent behaviour. But when it's at a level outside of the one that you really focus on, your unconscious mind picks it up. It still sends off those associations to do with taste and hunger and you know, appetising foods. And then you are more likely to think the things you're seeing are better and are more likely to spend more and buy more food as a result. Studies have shown that when people have been exposed, to example, for a, to a lemony scent and then shown training shoes, they are much more likely to rate the training shoes as being very attractive because the lemony scent was present. But they aren't aware there was a difference in the scent in the two rooms and the shoes that were being assessed were, of course, exactly the same. I'm finding more and more that there's lots of supermarket-owned brand products these days. There's that value range, there's often the fine range, and there's often the sort of middle standard range. Why are they doing these three different types of ranges? Well, this is a fascinating area, and we could have spent the whole time just talking about this on its own. But let's take a look at, for example, the biscuit aisle here. We've got three shortbreads, all essentially the same product. Now, I've looked at the ingredients on these, and I'm really struggling to tell the difference. They, they seem to all have wheat flour, butter, sugar starch and salt and then one other ingredient which is relatively low down the list so would we spot the difference between these if we had them on a plate without the wrappers i'm guessing we might not but what we have is one that's in a very nice silver box with a very carefully composed picture it's in a nice box it feels solid and one of the interesting things is studies have shown that we misattribute the packaging, just the feel of the packaging, to the product. So you give people two glasses of water, one of them's in a flimsy plastic cup and the other's in a firmer cup, they'll like the one in the firmer cup because they'll misattribute the poor container to the product. It's not the way we like to think our brains work, but it's the way they do. Then we've got a mid-price one where you're getting quite a lot more for less money. And those products are right next to each other. So you can look at those and tell yourself, well, do I want the best or do I want to get something that's maybe a little bit less expensive? But interestingly, what that's done is it's created its own frame of reference. So who knows whether 75 pence 
for some shortbread is a good price or not. We have no way of knowing that unless we're very strange people. But what we can do is say, well, it's a very good price compared to this one at £1.14. And they may not sell many of these. These might sell once a year to someone who's going to a party and doesn't want to look cheap. However, they might make a lot of people buy the mid-priced one because it seems like such a good deal. They've created their own frame of reference there. Now, right down at the bottom of this display, and there's something interesting in that as well, we've got a value product. Now, this value product is even cheaper still, but it's not where we normally look. It's at a low level, and we like what's easiest, and we assume that what's easiest is best. So only those people who are really making an effort to save money will even take the time or trouble to look down there, and then when they do, they will feel that this isn't as good a product because it's harder to get to. Whereas it may well taste just as good as either of the other products because they essentially have the same ingredients, as far as I can tell. I've just seen a lady put a big bag of 24 toilet tissues into her trolley. So is buying in bulk then a good idea? Again, we use these shortcuts. Shopping in a supermarket isn't about consciously evaluating all the time. If you did that, I would think your total shop would probably take you a day. If you really wanted to price check, look at the cost per gram, it's just not practical. It's not the way it would work, and it's not the way our brains are designed to work either. We work on these heuristics, these shortcuts, that generally work for us, but they don't always. And we've got an example here. You buy the biggest pack of... In this case, the own brand luxury toilet roll, 24, and that's going to work out at 15.9 pence per 100 sheets, I think that's there. But as we move here, we can see that if you just buy a simple pack of four, it's actually 15.6 pence per 100 sheets. So it's going to be cheaper to buy that product, six of those instead of one pack of that. But then, even then, it's fiddly. You've got to do all the extra lugging around. But we'll go for convenience. We'll go for the shortcut that tells us this is the cheapest way to buy. So, actually, what we've just seen is exactly the same product. If you buy four of them, it's actually cheaper than buying the bulk 24 toilet rolls that have a big red sign on them too. Absolutely, and you're starting to see those links now between those primes they're creating with the big red prices that say this is discount, this is cheap, this is a good way to buy, you're being clever buying this way. And the reality in this case, actually it's not the smartest way to purchase. Stepping away from the supermarkets tricks now to the tricks that the companies and the brands actually employ, we're next to a whole bunch of wines, and some of them definitely look better than others. Well, it's interesting you say that because the way a wine looks, again, we've got this problem that we can't taste them anyway. There's this vast choice of products, and how are we going to know what's going to be good and what's not? One of the ways is obviously we look at the pack, and some of these are looking very elegant. This one here, which is looking very French, very regal, it's got the crest on it. And what we know is that at a brain level, we take all that information in, and we process it, and it affects our perception of the products. We know that because we can do blind studies where we put the same wine in different bottles. And in one of the studies they did, they gave people in a restaurant one of two wines, one which came from a non-wine region of America, the other one which came from a very good region of California. And they found out that not only did people think the wine was better when it was the same wine, when it was in a bottle with a nicer label, they also thought the food tasted better. 
should be no reason for it, but it's the way in which our unconscious mind will misattribute these peripheral cues to something we're looking at and will influence our perceptions. What other studies have been done in other areas? A fascinating study was done looking at the purchase of wine that kind of sheds a light on how our brains behave in this way. And in that study, they used two different conditions. They had uh, pop music playing some of the time and they had classical music playing other times. When classical music was playing, people spent up to three times as much on a bottle of wine. Now, none of those people came out thinking, I spent more on wine because classical music was playing. What they did was they had those unconscious connections, the neural paths in their mind were were laid down to things to do with sophistication and indulgence and elegance and all those things that we kind of associate with classical music and where we've experienced it. And as a result of that, they found themselves feeling that what they wanted was a more expensive bottle of wine on that night. There's a lot of choice here in the wine section. I mean, there's just row upon row of wine. Presumably that's a good thing then, to have all this choice. Well, there's a very interesting issue with choice that's starting to be studied. It's what's known as the paradox of choice. Choice is attractive. We like the idea of choice. But what we've discovered is that when you give people more choice, they find it that much harder to choose, which is perhaps not a big surprise, but they also feel less positive about the choices they do make. Uh, Iyengar and Lepper conducted a famous study in a supermarket where they set up two stalls with jams. And on one they had six, and on the other they had 24. And they were interested in how many people stopped when they were trying these two conditions. And slightly more people did stop when there were 24 there to attract them, but they sold six times as much jam from the table that had just the six. And that tells its own story about the extent to which we like the idea of choice, but when it comes down to it, what happens, we get there, we get confused, we find it difficult to make a choice, and one of the ways we deal with that confusion is just to walk away and tell ourselves, oh, no, I didn't really want to buy any jam today. But that's not really what's going on at a brain level. I don't think shopping's ever going to be the same. It must be pretty exhausting for you. What's it like going shopping for you? I have to say it's not a whole lot of pleasure, and uh, there is a limit to how far you really want to take these things as a consumer because once you start to see the shopping experience as, in a sense, a game of psychological manipulation and a battle of influence, it's not really as much fun as it used to be. That was Philip Graves taking Smeet and Mundesad through the murky world of supermarket manipulation. For more science interviews, news and experiments, join us online at thenakedscientists.com.